Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hello, we're t- coming to you from Ghana country. Uh, my name is Lee Robb and I'm the Curator of Contemporary Art at the Art Gallery of South Australia and I'm joined by Fiona McMonagall who's come to us from Nam in Melbourne. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. So we're talking on the occasion of a brand new work that you've created, which is a stunning, evocative portrait of Frida Kahlo on the occasion of the Frida and Diego Love and Revolution exhibition. We're so thrilled that you uh, had the chance to commission and create a a new work, Um, but I thought it would be wonderful to go back for our audience and hear how how you came to art, how you Mm -hmm. began, what some of your influences and experiences and education were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You mean just like start with education? Yeah, Um, I guess your sort of early, early artistic encounters, I mean you come from a very artistic family. I do, yeah, my brother's a painter also and I think his influence when I was a teenager was pretty strong. Um, I would say I became fascinated with art when I was in high school, I think probably by, certainly by 15 I, I kind of knew I was going to go to art school. I mean, I think part of that is just what you're naturally kind of good at. I wasn't good at maths. I wasn't good at any of those subjects. So I think that kind of pushes you in that direction and kind of guides you. You know, if you're good at something, you kind of just head in that direction. Um, so, yeah, I really started to focus on developing my skills and, you know, certainly by year 11 and 12, and I was working towards a folio to get to get into art school. Um, So my education started at RMIT. I did a diploma in visual arts at RMIT and followed that by that was um, an undergrad at Victorian College of the Arts. So I graduated from there in 2000 in painting. Yeah. And uh, what was your third year project? Uh, (laughs) My third year project... I decided at the beginning of that year I think I wanted to just really focus on one project rather than just, you know, in art school you just make lots of work. I wanted a really deliberate and focused project so I decided to um, paint the entire third year, like students and staff, um, in watercolour. That was when my watercolour journey kind of just started and what better way to, you know, develop my skills than painting I can't actually remember how many portraits there were. I've still got the portraits. Um, but yeah, really developed my skills by painting all these portraits. And yeah. so what was it that drew you to watercolour as a medium uh, in the whole gamut of painting? I think we just had a... Maybe the year before, like in my second year at VCA, we had may have had a project in watercolour or something like that. And I found it inc- an incredibly challenging medium but I also really enjoy, I enjoyed the challenge and, you know, the mistakes and the fluidity of it. And, um, but mostly I think I just thought this is really hard and I want to get good at it. And then through that, again, like a no one really, no one, I mean, there are a few people at art school, I guess, working with watercolour, but I decided this is my thing. I'm going to get, I'm going to get good at it. 
You're gonna you're gonna master it. <laughs> I wouldn't say I've mastered it. I but... think you have mastered it. We describe you as a master I of watercolor. Saw, I saw that. <laughs> like, mm, I'm not sure. Some days, not. <laughs> well, um, but that's the, the nature. The yeah. nature of watercolor is that it's uh, sort of fugitive and hard to hard to control. Yeah. So. After art school, what were you know, what were your early projects that um, that you you took watercolor to, or that you wanted to keep sort of training your your capacity with uh, with paint and watercolor? Well, I continued working with the figure. Mm-hmm. I think as I started to challenge myself, like as I became more confident with the medium, I started to um, work on a larger scale. So from you know from going from like, you know A4 kind of size to 700 and 500 mil kind of size um which was challenging at the time like I've gone much bigger than that since since then but um at the time just that upping it each time well you know every so often was an extra challenge and also because you're working on a larger space you're working with different brushes mm. and you're, you're covering a large area so everything kind of changes in the way that you approach it rather than just you know being really intimate um, and yeah, like really close into the work, suddenly you've got to look at a larger space and more water becomes involved and all these sort of things. So it becomes, uh, it becomes a greater technical challenge as well. Yeah. And yeah. so I guess as you're upscaling with paint and really exploring the figure and I guess the sort of the politics of portraiture, uh, how do you how how do you decide who your subject is or what you know? You mean like in talk, recent work? So um, yeah, or maybe maybe it, talk through some of your you know your your key um, you know your key bodies I mean, of work. I guess my earlier work when I first left art school I was still I say I was still trying to figure I mean I'm still trying to figure (laughs) yes you know the journey doesn't you're constantly learning and growing but I think I in the early days I was focusing a lot on um where I grew up Mm -hmm. which was in the western suburbs of Melbourne um and trying to portray what that meant to me not necessarily portraits because they weren't direct portraits so like a lot of the time I would stage scenes I would get friends and family to pose for me but it wasn't a portrait of them they were it was I was was telling a story um and it was more looking at you know scenes that I might have remembered from my childhood and um yeah just trying to understand myself a little I guess yeah and the relationship to I guess your your own identity and yeah, yeah definitely as well. being yeah definitely like it was always um, tied to growing up female in the western suburbs or and my experiences as as a woman and um, I grew up in a large family so I'm one of six I've got four brothers so maybe that was part of it, it was just trying to <laughs> figure out because you know when I was. I actually identified with Frida Kahlo a lot when I was talk- when we were talking the other night because I, you know, she was actually quite tomboy. You say tomboy anymore, <laughs> and I was probably a, a lot like that when I was growing up, having four older brothers. I thought I was a fifth brother, you know. So um, I think as I became a teenager, I'm like, well, I didn't want anything to do with it, <laughs> like get out of my face. Um, <laughs> 
um, anyway, I got off track a little bit there. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, I think I think the, you know, the obviously the the power of, of portraiture um, yeah. and representation, but also self portraiture. You know, your your own. Um, I've never really find, gone finding, into finding finding yourself, yeah, but in way, yeah. but interestingly through the portraits of other people. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah. and navigating that space through also the distance of memory and things because in mm. many cases you've said that you've you've drawn from photographs and things but obliquely um and sometimes they're composites of things rather than uh direct you know a yeah d- direct well, translation in paint so to say well sometimes it would be through me staging what a memory i might have had and getting people to pose but a, and a lot of the time it was working from found photographs you know from my family's collection or mm-hmm. Um, things like that um, but I guess as my work progressed and I got older so in recent I started to just with the medium I started to challenge myself in other ways through um, um, what uh, watercolour animation mm-hmm. I made for the magic um, I don't know if that was not my first one my first watercolour animation was for the Basil Sellers Art Prize that was 2014 and that was about women's boxing. So again, always coming back to um, being a woman yeah. and how, how I identify. Um, yeah, so that was challenging myself. That was, it was a huge challenge. Because to create that animation, it's hundreds or even thousands of, yes. of images. Yeah, and so it's full In watercolour. In watercolour, yeah. yeah. So... I think probably one of my strongest, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Um, I've got a very good self-discipline um, when I need to. Like I can really understand what is required of me. Like I think for that Basil Sellers Prize, I only had eight, eight months or something like that to get this work done and I knew that it would take all day like all day every day as much possible as much time possible I could put into it it was going to take everything I could give and it absolutely did right to the so almost like a like an athlete because the Basil yeah. Sellers prize which was absolutely an amazing yeah. thing that ran for, for 10 years uh it was it had to be about sport in yeah. some way and so and this was a marathon yeah. and it was yeah yeah <laughs> of um yeah a, a, a watercolor marathon yeah yeah no it <laughs> like, felt like that actually yeah. I think I remember talking about that at the time like I think I got a hamstring injury from sitting down too much and yeah well I'm sure like the, <laughs> the physical impact yeah. of that repetitive um yeah. work and and you know the relationship of your own body to to painting and, mm. and you know, sitting down every day and you know, working through the yeah. whole day and the pain, and that's the training. pain of it yeah. it was yeah anyway that's an, an incredible commitment. discipline yeah so, so you'd think it would turn me off but it wasn't it was only my first animation and I did another one after that which was a self portrait for the um it was a self portrait prize I'm gone blank sorry for um University of Queensland oh yeah yeah, yeah. um and so then, so national self portrait prize, the national self portrait yeah, prize, which and that was around so that was what 2015, yeah, think, 2015. Yeah, 2015. And uh, and then you still hadn't had enough hadn't have of enough that after yet, yeah. that you created a, a larger scale 
um, sort of semi-circular projection yeah. um, animation. Yeah, for, it was on a curved screen. On a the... curved screen for the 2016 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art. Yes. Curated by Lisa Slade called Magic Object. Yes. And... Um, Yes, yeah, so tell us that about was my that. biggest one. It was yeah to that to that point. Phenomenal yeah. work. Yeah, so I wanted, yeah, like you said, it was on a curved screen. So I wanted, it was it was a scene of a of a park, and I wanted the viewer to feel like they were immersed in this other world because it was a, I think it was, it was a couple maybe two point seven. I don't know if I've looked at two point seven meters high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my head by yeah. probably seven meters curved or something like that um so you really did feel like you were entering this other world and that was my goal from from the outset um and it was just this i guess i was trying to recreate or create um like a a suburban park Mm -hmm. and the kind of characters and i mean it was more imaginative than a direct representation and it was very much imaginative um but it was a play on the different characters and the yeah yeah the, different I tried to turn sort of a magical world scenography yeah. as well and I think there's a a really lovely um, parallel between the 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 sort of movement and fluidity of working in watercolor and then the movement of the body in space, which I think you've also pursued in your very recent animation work that you mm. made for the National Portrait Gallery. Um, can you tell us what that's uh, the title of that and a little bit about the making of that, since it's very fresh and you've yes. just just <laughs> opened it? Yeah, that was that's called the Yellow Brick Road, and it was kind of a reference, obviously, to um, the Wizard of Oz and just. Basically, it's about a journey home that a woman or a vulnerable person takes home. So, about Yellow Brick Road was just kind of referencing getting getting home. Um, and for the first time, I'd say there was no figures in this work. So, I t- I kind of wanted to flip the focus and make the viewer the subject so they were because it was again it was life size yeah it was the viewer's point of view and they were going on the journey and it was I wanted the viewer to experience the fear and anxiety and you know all the emotions that um like um it, it came from a personal kind of viewpoint but the things that I might experience as I'm as a walking walking, home, walking home, at night, night. Or, yeah um and it, the idea kind of came from there was a lot of attacks in Melbourne, random attacks in Melbourne um, over the past 20, uh, 15 years. Um, so the inspiration kind of came from that. And, you know, there's been, there were a lot of concerning ones, very upsetting ones. So I really wanted... I mean, it wasn't an easy work to make. It was very emotional, especially in my research. But I, I you know, I thought it was an important work to make. I thought... The subject kind of just needs to be discussed a little bit more and yeah, and unpacked. Yeah, does that connect to your process uh, of starting a new body of work? You know, where do you where do you begin, or you know, what are some of your daily rituals? So when you you said you know if you decide on a on a theme, how do you how do you sort of work towards it both conceptually and then materially? Oh, conceptually it kind of depends so 
if I'm given the opportunity, like say the Portrait Gallery or the Biennial, um, I approach it in a different way because you've got access to things that you don't have access to in a you know commercial space, like where I, where I normally show. Um, so I like to challenge myself conceptually if I'm showing in an institution because I can and because it's not you know it's there's no. There's no pressure commercially to, to sell the work, so it's 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 a great opportunity to explore harder subjects that you you know are a bit kind of harder to get away with in a commercial space because you, you do you do have pressure to to sell for yourself and for the gallery. Um, so yeah, I do like to challenge myself conceptually. And so I guess um, interwoven between these major animations, which you know sometimes are over two thousand. Yeah, okay. that was so. This so the portrait gallery, the Yellow Brick Road, was my largest one, and yeah, that was close to two thousand paintings. So I and same with what I was saying about you know understanding what it's going to take for me to achieve that is just full commitment. I knew that I was going to have to work seven days a week and paint all day and just be really strategic about it and. So it's like for that particular work, for the portrait gallery, I kind of got all the emotion out in the concept and the preparation. And when it came time to do the painting, like I really just had to switch off from that and get get it get it done. So it became more about the, the labor. Yeah. Um, I should also say my brother, Declan McMonigle, does all the technical production for my animations. I'm not, there's not enough time to, yeah. <laughs> plus I don't know how. <laughs> So he's been great. So we collaborate in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you're working on something like that, you get into the studio. Where's your studio? Take us through it. My studio is in uh, the Nicholas Building in Melbourne. I've been there quite a while now, like 15 years. Um, my daily ritual, like, ah, oh, yeah, I started to answer that before. Um, yeah, so conceptually it's it's different preparation, but just my daily ritual. It depends. Like it depends what I'm doing. If I'm just doing an animation, I can't just get stuck into it. Sometimes I'll set with animation. I'll set the time up so I don't allow myself too much time on one painting. Otherwise, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't get the job done. Um, but if I'm painting on like my large scale portraits, like say Frida, for example. Uh, I don't know. I don't know really what I do. I don't really have a ritual. Like I guess I'll sit for a while and think and be lazy and have a coffee um, and maybe build up the energy to get started. It's if I'm if I'm talking about my large watercolors, it's they're quite tricky because they take a lot of energy and a lot of focus. Because you know, watercolor paper is expensive. I don't like to mess it up too often, even though I do. Um, so do you tend to do smaller scale? Uh, oh, I'll studies? do studies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To I'll work up of, to it. Yeah, literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, occasionally, I won't do a study, and I might fluke a, a large painting straight away. But that's kind of rare. Normally, my process is, say, for an exhibition, I'll figure out all my images and then I'll spend a good couple of months just doing studies like quite lot like largish studies so 50 by 70 centimeter kind of studies because I can't 
if I was to do any smaller than if that, you then I do can't an get a four to then go to a yeah yeah. yeah. One, and I like to just meter. Mm. I stand up while I paint. I work flat, mm-hmm. so um, I still need the physicality in my study. So I'm I am kind of You're warming approximating up, approximating it and warming yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are there are many sort of sport and training analogies because yeah, yeah it has are. the same level of um, of discipline yeah. um, to. Yeah, to accomplish things on, on that level and that scale and so much of it you said is about control. So it's yeah. also physical control to work with something that is so sort of fugitive and yeah. um and fluid. Yeah. Which is which is really fascinating. So who are some of your artistic influences then when you know coming to, to watercolor or to or to painting whether that's historic or contemporary who are some of the the people that artists that you've been drawn to and you've either sort of been challenged by or sort of been totally inspired by I mean one artist who's kind of stayed with me as an inspiration since art school has been Marlene Zuma. Mm-hmm. She was probably, she was introduced to me by um, one of my teachers at art school and I saw what she was doing with ink and I just thought, wow, like that is, I love that. (laughs) Um, Just the emotion that she's able to get across. So she was probably, yeah, she just remains an inspiration. Um, But I love also that she works across different mediums. So... Not so much watercolor. She works with ink, and I, I mean, no, she works with a bit of watercolor, with... but it's the way. But I mm. actually, I work. Most of my works are based in ink. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of started to shift over to ink. I don't know, ten years ago. So I start the painting in ink, and then I start introducing some watercolors. And ink is much harder to work with than watercolor because it stains the paper quite quickly. And there's no, there's no going back. There's no going back with ink, but and it it just bleeds differently and leaves different stains to watercolor and watercolor you can kind of remove a bit but ink is is permanent so i like i mean i like that risk factor the danger (laughs) i love it yeah there's so much uh risk literally every time and i think that's yeah going back to the process like um I'll kind of do it in short, like high interval training, like going back to the sports reference. I'll kind of do it in short bursts. I might spend half an hour really focused in, but then once I'm happy with it, I'll kind of step away. So it's kind of that constant pushing it to a certain point, but not, you know, being able to stop when th- when something's going well rather than just keep pushing it. Otherwise you can lose it because water moves and it removes and... Um, so, so it's knowing when to step away. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I guess coming back to Marlene Dumas yeah. and the act of painting and the nature of painting, mm. have you, you know, how important is it for you to see things firsthand and to, to travel and see, see, have you seen I've, a big exhibition of her, her work? I have, yeah. Um, not for a long time now, but I saw her in Venice. Did that um, show at Palazzo Grassi? Or recently no well, I don't know when it was actually yeah when was that I've seen no I've seen, I've seen quite yeah I've seen a few of her works mm. in person mm. and yeah I think it is really important incredibly important actually and even now just seeing the Frida Kahlo works mm. in person it's um it's necessary yeah and it's but it's a changing world mm. like not many people really do that anymore working in that online space. is so accessible and but it's not the same scale everything is 
brush marks. Um, to be able yeah. to understand how a painting is made, yeah, you have yeah. to see it firsthand. Yeah. Um, and so being based in Melbourne, mm. which is the which gallery do you go to the most, or you know, are there do you you know how do you I how do you sort of keep keep training your eye now that you've been you know, working independently for so many years and uh, professionally for so many years? Well, the last few years have been obviously different. Mm. Um, Galleries, you know, I'll go to friends' mm. shows and I'll see those. Um, and if there's a show on that I want to see, you know, all the all the usual galleries, Tolano, um, yeah, Station, like mm. I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also, my studio is across the road from the NGV, so I'll pop over when I feel like I need a break mm. or um, Acker. Yeah, yeah, just like. Mm. It's it's great having my studio in the city because it means I can just go for a wander and see what's happening. Yeah, and have some new sort of input and yeah. recharge. Yeah. Um, music is that it's absolutely and it's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. You've often described <laughs> things as having a soundtrack, I guess, as well, or your yeah yeah. Um, but I need something in my ears. Mm. I need um, either. Yeah, I think if I'm working late and people have gone home from the studio, I'll turn the music up quite loud, but during the day I'll have headphones. But it's constant something in my ears. With the animation, it was a lot of audiobooks and podcasts mm -hmm. because that was quite boring work to make. You know, it's quite tedious. But with large-scale watercolours, I need the energy, mm -hmm. so I need music. So I couldn't possibly paint to an audiobook mm -hmm. when I'm painting watercolour. Um, their portraits yeah they're totally different yeah. rhythms and tempos yeah. and you and, almost yeah. need a different kind of beat yeah or, it's not, and that doesn't necessarily mean like high energy mm -hmm. it just means whatever mood takes me that day but it needs to be something lyrical as, as yeah. opposed to uh, something uh, educational that you're listening to or as a podcast or yeah. something that has no, I can't a narrative concentrate. No, I need to sing and mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm a great singer but it, it helps for some reason yeah. it helps my concentration yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, sort of full body engagement, sort of well, hand eye. It is, yeah. Know. But also, like I said earlier, the, with watercolor, I kind of wanted to be. I don't want to be fully focused. I need a bit of a separation so that I do allow accidents to happen and and that you can move with the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, absolutely. The yeah. work kind of guides me and be sort of responsive. So there is that sort of call and response between yeah. you and the work. So I'm there, but I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's so interesting. That idea of a sort of uh, limbo or liminal state, sort yeah. of between between yourself and the and the medium as you're making it. Uh, but then they're so personal and the nature of a portrait is that it's you up close with let's talk about Frida Kahlo um, and and coming to to that work you know the how do you how do you get close to to your sitter especially when they're um, they might be a celebrity you've done a series of celebrities as well um, so the relationship to all the existing images and then how you form your own relationship with with them to create uh, a new portrait. Mm. Frida, I listened to a lot of podcasts mm. on Frida. I was doing a lot of reading and I was doing a lot of research on Frida to tr because the imagery I had was not not exactly what what I kind of wanted for me to get to a, like um, 
a kind of a less staged portrait so I really kind of wanted to un try and understand who she was as a as a person um, and her complexities so I was yeah watching a lot of documentaries and I was just trying to do a fair bit of research on her um, because all the I mean what I'll do is I'll look at a lot of images and it, I mean it's hard to say it's kind of just a connection that I have or something that I can see in in a photograph that speaks to me um, and a lot of the photographs of Frida, and as you would know, they were very, they're very staged and they're very posed, and it's not what I was after. So, yeah, that was that was tricky. So I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I had I did a lot of studies for Frida, um, both larger and smaller ones. Like not quite, not as large as the final work, but um, larger than a typical study, just so I could get the feel for it. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a mood and. I don't know. I was I was trying to get a sense of her character that we hadn't necessarily seen before. Mm. I think. I mean. I think that's that's exactly what you've captured. And we were just looking at it before. And yeah, how do you 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 know with the scale? She is larger than life, and mm. her strident gaze is really sort of looking almost uh, over you or sort of mm. surveying um, but a very sort of commanding very composed face um, and then the palette is this sort of beautiful muted sort of dark almost black greens and and purples and then her you know signature necklace and and, and earrings um, but you you said that you you you've sort of synthesized a number of uh, of images of her to, to to create this one that sort of sits outside yeah. all the other available works of hers. Well, what I liked about this one was that she was almost looking down and I knew that the scale I was going to paint her. So even though she's very small in stature, she, she does, I think she was very charismatic. She was quite a personality um, and she loved attention. But she, and she was this larger than life character. So knowing the scale I was going to paint her I wanted her kind of looking down as though she is that she her, her personality was coming out through the through the painting um palette wise it is different to her typical colorful um outfits and I I guess I just yeah that was just I think I was just guided by color I did a lot of I did a lot of studies um, like I said, I was going through a lot of different images and I guess taking different colour inspiration from all the images I was looking at. Um, but in the end, I kind of just... I kind of let the paint guide me on how the... the pallor, uh, sorry, the colour and also just... I mean, the, the nature of the watercolour, the way it bleeds, it kind of creates its own pattern anyway, so... I just I just went with it but the thing with when I'm painting is that every painting I do I assume isn't going to work like that's <laughs> really? just my oh yeah definitely um but that's also a good thing let's like, say so that's kind of part of my strategy because it allow it frees me up and it allows me to embrace it's part mistakes. of your motivation so like if you've already mm. failed then anything's possible yeah yeah mm. yeah and you know, I just I tell myself you've got heaps of paper. It doesn't and it doesn't cost anything, so it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, but that 
because if you do become precious, then it can really, it, well, me, it can, it can tighten me up and then the painting doesn't go the way I want it to. So I need that freedom for just for things to go wrong and things to go right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, definitely, you definitely did, did that. Um, but the other thing, um, oh, sorry, I'll just jump mm, again. Yeah. Um, with, with this painting of Frida is I wanted to avoid the cliche kind of images of Frida, so I, the, the iconic kind of images. So the flowers on the head or anything like that, I wanted it to be a bit more paired back yeah yeah and it seems like she's at a a relatively young age or I guess at a point which is probably a rite of passage for her as an artist and a sort of a young a young woman so but it's a it's an indeterminate age perhaps in her late 20s or something like that and that was something particular that you chose I mean you could you could have chosen any Mm. Uh, any era for for her um yeah so what was particular about this i think just the sort of beginning of who she was to become like you know she was very like who knows that she would have become she may not have become an artist had it not been for that bus crash um because it was that that led her to paint in the first place i think she was going to go to medical Mm. medical school Mm. um so I think that time in her life, just before the bus crash, or even just after the bus crash, was like a really formative time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And plus, I mean, it's a formative age mm. anyway. That mm. was she eighteen or seven? Mm. Late teens. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just at that. Just well, she was at school. On that cusp. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I really love her composure in in this work as well mm. as if she's sort of I don't know foreshadowing something but an incredible sort of composure she's sort of holding her her shawl but sort of lightly and just sort of lightly cradling her her arms and um and then sort of yeah stoically looking, looking yeah out. there's almost like a knowingness mm. yeah 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 and a lot of a lot of power in that as well um in in that gaze yeah and well i guess her strength is something i was really drawn to well yeah especially in all the research i was doing Mm. like she was so strong and yeah i wanted to get that across for sure Mm. like it's a hard life that Mm. she had and no self-pity it was just she just used it all her hard times to just get stronger yeah and to be sort of defiant in Mm. in that Mm. and to control her image and I guess Mm. a lot of a lot of your portraits do look like you said at the the sort of the the female gaze or the feminine gaze and being a female artist painting another female artist is uh Mm. is both a, a form of homage but it's also uh, you know, critique of, of portraiture and representation of, of female power and things mm. like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, the painting of her as someone who was an icon and is an icon and yeah. is, I think you mentioned in, in the past that she was someone for you as a young artist, even when you were at high school, that, um, yeah. that you came to came to know her and her story and and that I think you 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 said that uh it allowed you to see what an artist could do and what an artist could be yeah yeah definitely I think looking at her work as a teenager was 
it was eye-opening in what art could do. Um, now that I understand, like now that I'm older and you understand life more, like I certainly didn't understand what the works were truly about when I was a teen, but um, physically, like what they did or the, just the imagery and how powerful it was, it opened my eyes to what art could be. Um, so that's how I kind of related to her then. Um, and just, you know, difficult and challenging subjects. It's like, wow, like art can really speak to people. Um, and now as I've gotten older and I've got more life experience, I can understand her work a lot more of like how she used her art to really understand what she was going through and process everything that she was experiencing, which was some pretty tough things. Yeah, yeah. And she experienced tough things. Um, and art as a as a tool for survival yeah yeah and overcoming adversity and I think those kind of things that you know where yeah in a way I think being at the art gallery here at the art gallery of South Australia one of the the sort of enduring things about art is that it it brings you closer to other people and gives you those forms of connection and things yeah. that uh, you can relate to to something that has that has happened to, to someone else or be you know given strength by by their strength um, yeah through through that and, and her work's so intimate mm. and seeing the paintings mm. you really you really do like feel part of that intimacy mm. especially with the brush marks mm. and like she really did use very small brushes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's very, very fine. Yeah. And you, yeah. yeah. But then also very, very imaginative. And I think she yes. was, you know, she was, you know, such a, a maverick as well of her time. And she yeah. was quite ahead of her time in many, many aspects of, um, of what she revealed and what she concealed, which yeah. I think is so, so it makes her so compelling. Yeah. Um, as well as how much she controlled her own images, like you said, around how mm. performative she was, but also how much she used um, colour and costume and uh, in the shaping of her of her own images when she was photographed and when she was um, yes, yes. Doc documented. And uh, I think all of those things are, um, you know, I think it goes towards why she's so why she's so powerful and why she's such an icon and it just keeps refreshing I think in 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 the world in terms of her uh, her influence uh, and particularly for for well this new generation comes across yeah her. yeah yeah and she doesn't I don't know I mean her icon her as an icon keeps getting stronger and you know her image is a commodity mm. but at the same time I think I don't know like I'm finding it more fascinating the older I get mm. I, that's one thing I know mm. and, I've, and I've like I said I've seen her I've looked at her in different ways throughout my at different stages of my life from the the exhibition here what what were what's the painting that you most that you've sort of responded to or drawn to or seen again in a different light um um, uh, titles. Uh, yeah. Now, what does it look like? <laughs> uh, with, with the Diego on her forehead. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that's. 
Yeah, I love that painting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and she's almost. What's that like called? A, <laughs> I don't. I don't know yeah. either. Um, <laughs> but I guess you know she. There's also a that, photograph mm. of Diego watching her paint that mm. before. Mm. Like I don't think she put him there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on on her mind. But then she's also this. Diego on my mind. So. It's, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I think it's very very powerful also because it's almost you know she paints herself with almost religious significance as well mm-hmm. you know, almost as a, a madonna in some ways yes mm. yeah no it's a wonderful exhibition mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's um it's those kind of treats where you get to spend a lot of time with with works that you think you know and then yeah like you said what's so interesting about your work in this painting is her sort of knowingness but then the more that you see her paintings and connect with with them again is the sort of unknowability of of painting or how she did it and you know there's something still you know deeply enigmatic I think even for someone who is so um whose images circulated so widely yeah and that's you know that part of that mystery and I guess the her capacity as a painter yeah I think um she she was a beautiful painter mm. It, yeah, I think that's kind of really struck me. Mm. I, these are the first works I've seen mm. of Frida Kahlo. Mm. I'm pretty sure. So they're the first ones you've seen in person, in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they behave totally differently. Don't absolutely. They? Yeah. Yeah. And you, they really do feel very intimate, even though these they're not that small. Um, it's the intimacy of the brushwork mm. and yeah just the application and the obviously the imagery and you really are drawn in in a way that you're not with many other works mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. not in this exhibition no, I mean generally you know a lot of work that I like is quite large and you have to stand back in order to get the full effect but he, here you need to move closer and mm-hmm. she in, invites you to come closer yeah yeah it's interesting that um the scale of sort of brushwork or mm. the details of mm. it can you know can bring you can bring you closer or yeah force you to to have that sort of physical encounter of yeah, yeah proximity and intimacy mm. yeah well thank you Fiona I think we've covered a lot of ground okay. um and you know really appreciate your your generosity and talking us through your process your influences your inspiration and how you do sort of magical painting and work that that you do um, <laughs> thank you we're so grateful to have this work in the Frida oh um, yeah I'm absolutely thrilled in the collection yeah I was very excited by the the challenge yeah <laughs> um yeah yeah and I'm so thrilled that it's part of the collection now yeah beautiful thank you so much thank you